Welcome to the Resume Storyteller, bringing you interviews with industry experts, regular folks who tested the job search waters and succeeded, and strategies to tell your story and land you job interviews. Here's your host, Virginia Franco. Hey guys, I have with me Gina Riley. I have been a longtime fan of hers and she's an HR professional who sits at the powerful convergence between coaching, executive search, and interview skills training. She's an authority in career transition and is the creator of the Career Velocity System, which is a solution that helps leaders and executives to map out a transition strategy that will last them throughout their career. Gina brings over 25 years of experience from small businesses to Fortune 50 companies and holds a master's degree in whole systems design. She um, is a certified UMAP coach and she uses it to customize her model for each client. Her unique approach helps leaders to showcase themselves as a quote-unquote business solution and also position them as authoritative problem solvers to really accelerate their career transition success. So Gina, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for the nice intro. Thank you so much. So you heard me sort of just give a brief overview of what you do with your clients today, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about how, how you came to be in this role. Sure. The quick tell me about yourself, right? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my early career, I spent a decade at Intel Corporation, which really gave me a lot of um, my process fundamentals, if you will, and um, really high-level engagement with high-flying executives internally. Mm -hmm. I took a stint through talent acquisition. I ran an, I ran the intern program for the Oregon site, which is the largest, that that was the largest site at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was an HR business partner for one of the VPs managing a business. And, um, I also did training and development then I actually took a 15-year break, raised my two sons. And then quite a few years ago, uh, I went to work for Talents Group doing executive search and consulting and doing interview skills training within the client companies that we were engaged with. And we were helping leaders and managers craft effective questions and figure out how to assess talent for behavioral and functional skills. Wow. Since then, I've also added on to my my work, uh, my own consulting business, and that's Career Velocity. And what I've done is I've really cr- created this whole model to help people tell their stories in an effective way. Because one of the main issues I see with anybody in, a, in, a, in an interview situation is not succinctly telling their story in interviews in ways that the people who are listening and evaluate can understand how they'll fit. And so that's really what I've honed in my business is to help set people up to do exactly that and to win the the job offer ultimately. You're right. I mean, because so many people that are in career transition, their their roles, it feels like the dots aren't connected, but we know there's a way to do that. It's just, it's, it's a hard story to tell, especially when it's your own story. Oh my goodness, yes. And a lot of the people, I'd say the sweet spot, a lot of people I'm working with are, you know, 20 to 30 years into their career. It's mm-hmm. a lot of Gen X, early boomer, and they haven't had to tell their story before. Perhaps most of their transitions have come through 
relationships and um, internal promotions, et cetera. And now they're, they don't really know even where to start. Where to start. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so are you doing both? You have a private practice and then you're working for this company or? Correct. Correct. Okay. So I, I, call, I call us two sister companies. Um, so Talents Group is run by Sherry Kitsawan. She's the, the CEO. Um, she's been in business over a decade and she specializes in leadership level search. And then in parallel, I've fully flushed out this coaching program, which I also provide to Talents Group um, clients that may come in and ask for coaching. So I'm a referral source for her and vice versa, you know. Oh, how wonderful. Um, So as part of telling your story, and and I remember reading one of your uh, blogs, I guess, I don't know if it was on your website or your LinkedIn, but it talked a lot about executive presence and the many factors that can impact it. Um, And I know that that's really that's a really important part of getting your story across effectively. Um, So I would love to delve into this with you and talk about how the impact that one's executive presence can have or can make on those targeting a career change. Absolutely. I love talking about executive presence because there's so many elements within it that a person can upgrade for themselves if if they find that they're falling short or if they get feedback that they're falling short. So there's these three elements of executive presence, appearance or how we look, communication, how we speak, and gravitas or how we act. And I think there's somewhere between 15 and 20 different micro aspects of all three of those. And many of those things we could, you know, if we don't currently have it or we're not coming across the way that we want to, we could get mentorship or coaching on it. So how we speak, how we look, how we act? Correct. Okay. So let's just start with the first then, I guess, how we speak. And, and you referenced in past writing the, you know, the communications factors that can impact your executive presence, um, specifically, you know, how, how you can connect with someone, persuade them, really get them sort of enraptured or engrossed in what your message is. Um, and, and you spoke about timber and pitch and phrasing and inflection. My mind was a little blown by all of the different nuances to communication. Um, and so I'd love to hear from you, you know, give me your take on that. And then I guess the other thing I'm curious about, and I, I'm throwing like nine questions at you related to this at once, but does your, does this need to change if you are targeting a different industry or a different role? Do you need to to customize some of your communications? Oof, so many good questions. I'll try to unwrap it and then okay, let me know if I, know if I have, if there's a gap in kind of where you wanted to go. So with communication, um, and again, the things that I'm speaking about come from the research from a book called Executive Presence by Sylvia Ann Hewlett. And okay. so the the things that I'm talking about are not, all generated from my own expertise. I've really am really taken to this research. So from her research of over 4,000 people surveyed and among that 
250 plus or very senior level executives. Superior speaking skills are rated at 60% importance. And so there's all these micro aspects of that ranging from accent and, and grammar. I'm sorry. Yeah. Grammar and then mm-hmm. timber and pitch. And you brought up timber and pitch. What the research tells us is that if a person has a lower frequency voice, that it holds people's attention longer because it's more pleasing to the ear. So if a person was to at least know that they may have a voice that could be turning off people's ears or not commanding attention, that is something that at minimum you could get an awareness about. Okay. And if it was something that you wanted to fix or adjust, you could get a voice coach, for example. So some of these things are actually, you know, upgradable, if you will. Interesting. So which it makes sense why that guy from um, Roots, remember Alex Haley, the guy with the deep, deep, deep voice. Um, I'm aging myself here. No wonder he commands so much attention. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> so many mouths would be bad. Yes. So so we're, we as humans are wired to listen to people longer if a person's voice is pleasing. And what I think what is interesting for leaders to know is there is a correlation between um, landing those top roles, having a higher probability of making a significantly larger salary. So there's more than just, you know, there's a lot at stake. Yeah. Just knowing about your timber and pitch. That's fascinating. Um, What about, so I imagine that that is industry agnostic and role agnostic. So your timber and pitch is equally powerful if you're you know making a pitch for a Wall Street role or Silicon Valley role or I agree marketing. Okay, I, I think it as because it, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the condition of human nature. Right. Okay. Oh, that's so fascinating. Um, what about when? So when it comes to resume writing. I know that uh, sharing data and details can be very powerful, but I remember you you saying, um, and maybe this is part of that research, that there's a lot of value in avoiding sort of snowing people with data. You don't want to have an avalanche. So I'd love to get your take on why in writing is one thing good and in speaking it's another Um and how people should balance. Right. That's a great question. And, you know, where you're coming from with writing these super senior executive level resumes, Mm -hmm. as I am with helping people hone a story, their story, we're coming at it just from slightly different angles, but we have the same goal, which is in writing on on a resume, that marketing document, you need to get to the point or else people will not keep they will not continue to read it. Right. And the same is true in an interview situation that if you are not succinct and to the point, and if you cannot quickly tee up the story in the context of the story and then get to that result, then you will lose your audience. And so it's just really important to... And part of this is like actually EQ or emotional intelligence, which is a part of gravitas. 
you need to be able to read your room and read your audience because you your messaging needs to scale depending on who you have in front of you. So if you've got the emotional intelligence to understand, okay, I'm talking to a frontline recruiter today who maybe early in their career, they might be checking off boxes to see if you know I'm going to meet the salary requirements and am I open to relocation and a few data points that that help inform whether or not they're doing their job well. That's not the person that you go into your deep, deep stories about how you transformed a company from your, your CXO role, right? Okay. So having a succinct story and gauging your audience, and that's called like reading the room, mm-hmm. is super important. And then adjusting where you are succinct based on who the person is at the other on the other side of the table. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And you know, we can do this not only when we are physically in the room, we can do this on Zoom as well. Mm-hmm. You're looking at someone, you can see if they're they're with you, they're not with you, they're engaged. That's another part of reading the room is just reading the the facial expressions and the body language and the tempo with which they're, you know, engaging with you. And during an interview process, you know if you're if this is the first round interview versus a third or fourth, you get a sense for who who is at the other end just based on that. The first time screener is going to be involved down the road, right? Absolutely. I agree with you. Those first engagements, you know, what I'm expecting, if I'm going to screen someone, let's say for an executive level role, I do kind of need that checkbox. I need to see if they're just in or out based on some, some baseline criteria. I don't want 12 minute stories. I may have a half hour. If you take 12 minutes to tell me one story, you have missed the mark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't have time for that. Like I need to screen, let's say 20, 30 people in the next week or two. If you're taking 12 minutes for one story, imagine what the person with a greater ability to read the situation, how much more mileage that person will get with that half hour. Okay. Okay. Um, so you need to adapt how you deliver your message and the amount of data or this, I guess, the story deep dive based on who who the audience is. 100%. Um, okay. Um, all right. I had, I had a whole bunch of questions. So the other thing you talked about was how uh, assertiveness plays into one's executive presence. And maybe that weighs into th- that, you know, the ability to read the room and determine um, how assertive you should or shouldn't be, you know, I guess adapting your message based on who is in the room. Um, and but when, when I was reading about assertiveness, I, all these thoughts started racing through my head, particularly for women where, um, you know, we're often told if you're too assertive, you might be perceived as too pushy or aggressive, which is a negative. Um, so how 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 can people read the room if, if they maybe don't have that great EQ? <laughs> well, with without great EQ, I mean that's something that again I think could be developed. And I yeah. wouldn't say I'm an EQ expert, but I I think that a lot of us know it when we see it. And that's I would say intuitive. that it's a balancing act. Some people just aren't going to get it right or they don't get it right because it's situational. Maybe they're having a bad day or their audience isn't maybe connecting with them. There could be a lot of things that affect um, 
the perception of someone's assertiveness. But you're right, Virginia. Um, women have a harder road to hoe, road, road to hoe. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to assertiveness, we really have to balance out confidence with the B word, as yeah. Sylvia and Hewlett would put it in the book. So we want to come across as confident. And there's another part of gravitas, actually, that plays a role here, which I believe is it's called showing teeth and decisiveness. Can you make a decision when in the in the wake of other people not being able to make a decision and then just be okay being the leader and making a choice when no one else can? So I think you can balance assertiveness with aggressiveness in how you're treating people. Interesting. I really want to go back and look at that research she did. So Sylvia Ann Hugh, how do you spell her last name? I want to make sure I have H-E-W-L-E-E-T-T-E-P, I think it is. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go check that out. All right. So we have spoken about how, you know, we talked about how we speak, how we look, how we act. We talked, we tackled the how we speak. Um. I'd love to sort of delve in a little bit into the how we act, which is where body language comes into play. Um, how is body language perceived differently in person versus online and by men versus women? Boy, that's a, that's a toughie. So on the perception side, I'm going to say that's harder for me to answer because it's sort of getting in the head of other people. Right. I would right. Say no one woman, says though, it's all right. Yeah. I would say as a woman though, uh, of course, I think my lens as a woman in perceiving maybe a man's body language might be different than a man perceiving another man's body language. Like okay. I think that there are some gender, I'm just talking very broadly. There are some gender specific things. So if a man has a certain posture or, or position in person or on Zoom, just the way that they're holding themselves or their facial expression. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be reading all of that. Openness versus, you know, you know, aggressiveness, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we have plenty of opportunity to showcase warmth and humility and engagement on a Zoom call. Um, I think that the excuse that you're on Zoom, it, I don't think that we can call it an excuse really not anymore because with as, as online as we've all had to be I correct agree yep and so, you know if I could add if I could add just oh, yeah. one more thing I think that one key is just maintaining eye contact projecting confidence um, and then making sure that your backdrop isn't distracting all the normal stuff that we know now um all of that is important with conveying executive presence because it shows that you understand who your audience is. And if you're in an interview situation, which is what we're talking about, then, you know, you're not going to have your kitchen sink behind you. You're going to go find at least a blank wall, you know, and, and have it be simple and non-distracting. With the eye contact piece. um, I know when, when we first started having to all go to zoom, I struggled with that, especially with, with panel discussions. Yeah. I, you know, found myself wanting to drag around and I had a, um, I got a little sticky and drew, drew eyeballs on it. It's like behind my camera. Do you have any other tips for sort of projecting, you know, ensuring eye contact when you're delivering a message so that it does look like you're looking at the person? It, you, you, you nailed it. I don't even have anything better than that. That's exactly what people should okay. do. 
Someone told me they should put a movie star that they like and put their picture behind the camera. That could be distracting. <laughs> for you, you know what? That's a good point. <laughs> so clutter-free backdrop, eye contact. Um, what about your hands? Um, is there anything you should or shouldn't be doing with your hands when you're speaking on camera? I, You know, I when I'm talking to people on camera, I haven't noticed overall, a lot mm-hmm. of issues. I'll, I'm going to mention one um, okay. because okay. I had a, I had one client who was putting their hand over their mouth as they would speak. And one of the things that I coached the person on and what I told that person is you're giving your power away by putting your hand over your mouth. You're conveying that you don't have confidence and you're and you in what you're saying. And over time, the person worked on it consistently and then had a huge turnaround where they were appearing then on camera as we were going through our coaching calls, so much more confident. And the second issue with that specific person was the pace of her speech. And so when they slowed it down. And when they stopped covering their mouth, the power of their voice became so much more confident and clear. Oh, so it affected the timbre almost. Kind of. It was more about the pace. Okay. The tempo. The tempo. Yeah. So, and I remember this is years back, but I remember I remember receiving media training back when I worked in corporate communications and they spoke a lot about how people that naturally speak with their hands, it's busy and distracting. Yeah. Um, I haven't noticed that too much with the people that I'm coaching or people I've interviewed. I can't think of any. You know what? It's probably because on Zoom, you are where the camera is. It hits above where a lot of your hands are gesturing, but with media training back when it was more of a waist up. Mm -hmm. And so um, and now the camera is a little higher, so maybe it doesn't come into play. That could be, that could be, you could kind of be, you know, moving your fingers about underneath the desk and no one will ever know. No one would notice exactly. You can be as busy as you want below the <laughs> camera, right? Exactly. Um, so we talked now about how you act and how you speak. So the last is how you look. Um, what are the key aspects of appearance that you think someone needs to take into account when preparing for a career change? First, I would say dress for the job that you want and okay. engage your audience. So we're we're most likely talking about interview situations. Mm-hmm. So I I have had candidates who are preparing to go into interviews who will just simply ask me, hey, as the recruiter who has the relationship with the company, could you give me an idea about the company culture and what you know the typical dress is like? And then okay. I would just say, take take up your dress for interviews one notch above that. So you if most people are pretty casual. Let's say, let's go way super casual. Let's say you're going for an engineering leadership role and everyone in that organization is wearing Birkenstocks and t-shirts. Well, you don't want to wear your corporate blue suit to that interview. You're you're going to show that you couldn't read the room. (laughs) Okay. So I would dress for the job that you want. Just take it a notch, you know, or two above what they already... Because you're showing 
you're showing that you respect what you're doing. You're showing respect. Yeah. You respect yourself and you respect them and you respect the process that you're serious about this, that you're not just, you know, you didn't roll out of bed and throw on your Birkenstocks too. Let me say this though, according to Hewlett's research, appearance of the three elements of executive presence appearance rates the lowest overall 5% importance over all of it. However, it takes 250 milliseconds for someone to look at you and make a first snap judgment about you. That means it's the first hurdle you have to get through or past for people to open up to all the other things that you have to offer. So if you can over... So the to me, that gives you a lot of power. It means that with that first impression, it's easy to overcome that hurdle. Oh, I love how you said that. I think that's exactly right. And then the first element of appearance is being polished and groomed. It's 35% importance. And what it does is it signals to your competition that you're in control of yourself, your appearance. And, and that's easy to you know, choose what you're going to wear and also rated at 12% is whether or not you're wearing simple and stylish clothes. So you don't have to, to really go way outside the margins to make your appearance, um, fall in line with someone who has executive presence. Okay. Um, and to me, the, you know, in addition to showing respect for yourself in the process, it really shows your interest that you took the time to to give this a thought, even if Absolutely. that only registers in a millisecond to your point. Um, I also love that you said it's okay to ask the recruiter for wardrobe intel. Totally. This doesn't have to be a big, you know, treasure or treasure to try to figure it out. Sure. I mean, I've had um, CEO candidates go in and, you know, if it, let's say it's a male, they go in with like the sport jacket on and, you know, the button down Mm -hmm. uh, shirt, but then maybe they take their sport coat off as they're doing a presentation to the board because everyone around the room isn't, doesn't have their suits on. And it just makes you kind of even the playing field with how you're, you know, interacting with each other. And for women, honestly, it's so much more difficult because we get really wrapped up in, you know, do I wear a dress? Do I wear a blouse? Do I wear a skirt? Do I, it's so much more challenging, but I think going back to the simple stylish clothes and being polished and groomed is the key. And one of the little teeny nuances for women, like a blunder is when we, we go into a situation and we've got a lot of jewelry that like bangles that are jostling and, and, you know, chiming around, that is a distraction and considered something that can hurt your executive presence. Okay. So no dangly bracelets. (laughs) Nothing that's clanking. Okay. Um, do you feel like since so many first round interviews have gone online and it seems from everything I'm reading, that's not going to change. Um, virtual interviewing is sort of here to stay at some point in the process. Um, I feel like the uh, the dress code is a notch more casual now, even when you're trying to dress a notch higher than it mm-hmm. was three, three to five years ago. Do you agree with that? Or um, I do. Is that I a absolutely do. Yeah. Um, so again, it kind of goes back to um, simple background, non-distracting, phone is off. Like mm-hmm. one of the worst things you can do, the one of the worst blunders 
I think it is for gravitas. It's either gravitas or communication is that your phone is on and that it's chiming, beeping, or you take a call like that. That's the worst thing that you could possibly do. Yeah. Nope. I agree with that. Um, you wrote, and I don't recall if this was your take or um, part of the findings, but you, we talked about how being tall and being useful are, are viewed as favorable. And I, I get that that is, again, a blip in the decision-making process and it's bottom ranked uh, when compared to body language and, and other parts of executive presence. But what if you're four foot 10 and you're, you know, you're a boomer? How, what... What can we do to mitigate, you know, to try try to enhance that favorable impression? Yeah, it's so funny. When I did a post on LinkedIn um, on appearance, I did have a couple of people, particularly men, weighing in and saying, well, it's too bad that I'm five foot whatever, but at (laughs) least I have, you know, all these other things. Let me say this. Being tall is rated only at 6% importance for women, 12% for men. Unfortunately, it's that's one of the few things that men have it worse really? in these numbers. Women have it worse for almost everything else. Okay, we're going to break on height. Yeah, don't sweat it. You okay. are what you are. You're, you're the height that you're at, you know, whatever. You have like 16 other things that you could be attending to that show that you have confidence and integrity and humility and power and you can read the room and showing your excitement for the opportunity. So let me let me draw attention to one other thing that you you brought up like Gen X and Boomer is there is a six percent importance for being youthful and vigorous, which immediately draws my mind to people who are of an older generation who are concerned about age discrimination. When you show up showing care and concern for how you, your appearance, and you show up with um, excitement for an opportunity, it's that's that an attitude is gonna show, thing. That's, that's going to showcase bigger. <laughs> yeah, that's that is that's attitude. That's timeless to me. Yes, exactly. So you can't make yourself younger, but you can surely dress in a way that that lands with an audience. A particular mm-hmm. audience and shows your excitement and interest. And really that comes down to, do people want to work with you? Are you showcasing some kind of element of who you are and your leadership abilities that make me want to follow you? I love that. I love that. Um, so control what you can control. You can't control your height. You can't control your age, but you can, you can control how you show up, mm-hmm. the attitude that you convey all of that. Yep. <laughs> All right. And you know what height? Nobody can see your height on a camera. True. <laughs> no, there you go. Um, so my last question or second to last question is around you know, discrimination when it comes to hiring practice it, it practices. And that's all the isms, right? Ageism, sexism, racism. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on, on coaching people to sort of navigate these tricky waters? Goodness. I think having an understanding of your executive presence is a really great place to start and to um, onboard some people that you trust who are willing to tell you the truth about how you're presenting yourself. And I wouldn't say this is someone super close to you per se, like your spouse or partner. It's going to be people who have been your professional advisors in your career. So that's one thing that I would do is get feedback. Um, 
and okay. ask those hard questions. <laughs> and I put myself at a disadvantage. People that will tell you the unvarnished truth. Exactly. Okay. And then the, the real question is, are you projecting yourself in a way that influences other people and commands attention? And when I use the word command, I'm not, it's not command and control. It's mm-hmm. gravitas. Mm-hmm. It's the um, bringing people along with you, being a succinct storyteller, and just showcasing that you have the confidence to lead and direct people in their work. Okay. That's super helpful. Um, and what I love about all of your answers is that so much of this is within your control. Yeah. It's awareness. And sometimes you need, you get the awareness from other people, but it's awareness and then adaptation. Absolutely. Okay. So Gina, you're wearing two hats now. Um, what is next for you in 2020? We're in uh, what October of 2021. What are your plans for the rest of the year and next year? Oh goodness! Well, with under the Talents Group umbrella, I've got many interview trainings that I'm still going to be delivering on site for a number of the clients that Sherry has. So we have a six-hour interview skills training. So we're, you know, upskilling, hiring managers, executives uh, on how to assess talent. And I love doing it because it really helps me on the coaching side. The better I am at training other people to do it, the better I am at training coaching clients on how to interview better. So that's fun. Um, Full coaching caseload through the end of the year. And then just uh, late last week, I launched a CFO search uh, for a Napa Valley winery. Yes. So I have plenty on my plate to keep me busy through the end of the year. So, so if someone would like to get your support with uh, coaching, I know that you book out. I have shared your Gina Riley Consulting website, your email, and then your LinkedIn um, URL on your bio. Are, the, are those the best places to connect with you? Or are there other avenues as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, the website is a great place to go because I have uh, a resource. There's a green button that people can select. And I recorded a half hour webinar where people can walk through my coaching model and it comes with a workbook and they can actually start their own plan for career transition success. And it's not about whether or not they want to hire me or not. They can actually just use it as their own springboard, as a tool to make a plan. So I actually recommend checking that out. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, so anyone can go and download that. Oh yeah. That's you awesome. know, you got the typical, you'll get on my list and get a couple right, of emails, right. but honestly, I've been too busy to make like any extended, um, long set of emails coming into people's inboxes. So they'll get like six and then it drops off. <laughs> okay. Very good. Well, Gina, thank you so much. I've learned a lot and thank you for for handling me throwing like 22 unrelated questions at you with each, with each question. No problem. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco. To learn more about storytelling strategies to catch the eye of today's online skim hiring and decision makers, please visit www.virginiafrancoresumes.com.